welcome to Death Holler, the place of haunted hearts and haunted homes. We welcome you to Death Manor, the home that boasts the most ghosts. Come on in. We've been expecting you. Take a look around. You might see someone that you recognize. Do you hear those voices? That's just the Reverend Dr. Death and La Arena. They're so happy to see you. Sit back and relax. Make yourself at home. Your new home. And remember, when you're in Death Holler, listener discretion is always advised. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to Death Holler. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. Death, and the spirit that's been nagging me about having too much Christmas spirit is my co-host, La Urena. How's your seasonal job as a holiday haunter going, Urena? I mean, I'm doing my best, but I don't know. I'm just not feeling it this year. I'm starting to feel a little joy, which is a little scary. Yeah, I heard you actually uh, uh, you actually talked to George Bailey to jump off the bridge, so good on you for... Uh, doing your part, I guess. Got to help collect those souls, you know? <laughs> Got to do my part. And, you know, the shocker, we not what I was expecting, but the hubs made it on time. He's here. Well, that's awesome. Hey, babe, what are you doing? Listen to you lie. Listen- I've seen that big-ass Christmas tree downstairs. <laughs> yeah, it, we, she ain't murdering people, but she's murdering trees, to tell you that much. We do have a carcass in the living room in God the form damn. of a huge-ass tree. That- if, if that yeah, tree had to get points, man, that would have scored like an 11 on a scale of 10s. <laughs> it, it truly was a Clark Griswold tree. Oh, dude, for- you should have seen the fight getting that thing in the front door. I oh, thought- I have a video. Oh, I, I have a ring video. I thought me and her were going to be fighting it out, man. It was rough. Like, dude, the tree's like five feet wide, and we're trying to squeeze it through like a two-foot door. It's like, it was oh a nightmare. God. Yep. So that's that's the that's the most horrors that are happening in this house. <laughs> well, we made it back from Hill House, most of us anyway. A few lost souls are forever trapped in the in, a, in that foreboding structure. And uh, wouldn't you know it, we arrived just in time for Christmas. Um, <laughs> As we discussed in our previous season when we were uh, when we were talking about Krampus, the Christmas holiday wasn't always the cloying, consumer-driven, Mariah Carey stuck-on-repeat and complete torture-inducing occasion it has become. Um, How dare you? I love Christmas music, you son of a bitch. <laughs> he does. Dude, okay, uh, a side note before you go down the rabbit hole. The shop I work in is like 70 mechanics, and everybody hates Christmas music, and they don't like it playing, and I play it non-stop starting like <laughs> using the beginning of november and they got so mad that i had to wait till after thanksgiving and the, everybody's about to lose their mind by the time christmas is over that's how he terrorizes folks in our town hey i might come off like a grumpy dude but i love christmas man because the whole idea of christmas isn't gifts like you were making the point it's you're supposed to be getting together and forgetting everything else and just capturing the moment of hanging out again and not have anything else weighing on you I mean, I agree with you 100%, but there's there's some Christmas music that I just cannot 
not stand listening to. And the Mariah Carey, uh, All I Want for Christmas is You, is probably the most torture-inducing thing I've ever heard in my life. Oh, see, somebody should make a parody of that song. All I Want for Christmas is Stuff. And, and, <laughs> and it's this nonstop charging up credit cards and running massive amount of debt and then trying to figure out how to pay it. Um, why do I feel so personally attacked right now? What are you talking about? <laughs> really? You're stuck in the same boat of paying it off as I am. We're in the yeah, same house. That's so true. You run the debt up. We're both shipping <laughs> that coin. Oh, man. All right. Moving forward. Well, celebrated at a time when the Northern Hemis- Hemisphere is undergoing its shortest days and longest hours of darkness, the holiday used to have more of a horror melancholy tinge to it. And with those darker traditions, uh, sharing ghost stories was amongst the most popular. Um, now, we would be remiss during our Haunted Homes and Haunted Hearts season if we didn't cover the most famous of all Christmas ghost stories, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Uh, the novel, of first printed in 1843, has virtually been in print ever since and spawned countless adaptations in other media. And uh, while we could have picked from numerous film versions of the tale, and, and we will discuss some alternatives, there is one that Urena and myself, and I think Noah, prefers heads and shoulders above the rest, so... Uh, move close to the fire, grab your favorite holiday treat, and join us for our discussion of the 1988 classic, Scrooged. Oh, and don't forget some hot dick insider. <laughs> really? Some hot dick insider with some fruitcake? <laughs> um, but first, a little podcast business. Um, we'd appreciate if you'd please rate and review the podcast on whatever pod- podcast platform you use. Um, we would love to see the podcast continue to grow, and this would go a long way toward that goal. Um, thank you for listening and please enjoy the show. Now, first up before we get to the talking about a Christmas Carol, have you all watched anything like Christmas horror related recently? Oh, we do every year. And in the apocalypse is one of them. Um, there's that new black Friday movie, which was actually, I liked that. It was a nice slasher, cheesy, uh, Christmas horror flick. Did you get a chance to watch it yet? I have not. I've not. Uh, I've been trying to uh, watch a few other like classics that actual. Well, I just call them regular Christmas films, you know, mm. to, for the season. But um, you ever watch? Have, sorry, cut you off. You ever watch Anna and the Apocalypse? I think I have watched that. Is that got um, the guy from the Office in it? Um, uh, no, 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 no. It uh, it was an indie one, and it's out of the UK. There's a couple American actors that are in it, but it's out of the UK. Uh, it was it was an it's an indie, so I had limited viewing in the theaters. We actually caught it in the theaters. Oh yeah, it was like a special viewing. Or yeah, something. it was a special viewing. I usually try to catch anything like that that's uh, limited viewing. I kind of keep my ear to the wire, and I caught it, and I was like, "Cool, let's go see it." And we went and seen it in the theaters, but we actually have it too. We usually uh, it's this, basically a zombie Christmas. It's awesome, dude. It's a good zombie Christmas movie with a good uh, ending on it too. Well. Kind of. As good as you're going to get out of a zombie movie. Okay. Uh, I don't think I've seen this, although it does look very similar to something I have seen in in a roundabout way. But, yeah, I I was thinking there was an Anna Anna Kendrick movie that that she did, but that that was more like, you know, satanic, like the devil, you know, it came to earth and that sort of thing. So Obviously, uh, crassness. Oh my God! I cannot word right now. Krampus, Krampus. is uh, yeah. a, almost a Christmas classic now. <laughs> well, I'm I'm curious, what's the one with Andrew Kendrick in it? Which is that? What's that Christmas horror movie? It's well, I don't think it is a Christmas horror movie. I think I was getting confused with uh, with uh, the plot for this one because uh, they they both have like a uh, similar name. I think it is. 
Um, well, yeah, Anna. <laughs> well, no, it's, uh, it's it's something about the uh, the apocalypse in, in the title. Um, let me see. Yeah, we usually get a lot of staple holiday movies, the usual ones, and then a lot of really abstract ones we watch and stuff like that. Yeah, Black Friday got added to the list this year of uh, Christmas movies we'll, we'll be watching during Christmas. But yeah, there's a lot of good horror Christmas movies you can catch, like that 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 are just campy ones that are that that I actually like watching too, because it, it, they do have a like even even if it's a horror movie. And they do a good job of doing the movie, even if it's campy. They they do usually draw a good uh, holiday tone to it, which is a lot of its family and the value of people in general. Well, there's also movies, too, that are legit Christmas movies that are unintentionally scary. They just happen to be. Like what? Well, for instance, one I like to bring up. It's not scary, but it's a kid's movie. A Christmas Carol, the Jim Carrey one. Well, we'll get into that. So yeah. Fun. Put a pin in that one. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we're not going to start discussing that. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I want to say that's what I I think if I was catching correctly, that was what the Reverend was getting to was Christmas movies that have unintentional bits of. A creepy undertone. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's the scene and we brought it up last year during the Krampus discussion, but the scene where, you know, in um, uh, Christmas Vacation, where National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, where Clark Griswold puts on the hockey mask, comes out with the, you know, the chainsaw and gets ready to cut the tree. Of course, they undercut it with one of the best lines ever. It's like, you know, where you go, you know, we going to do that tree or something, you know, Griswold. And he's like, bend over and I'll show you. But I mean, it's it, you know, they definitely played into the slasher theme for like a minute or something. Oh, yeah. They did that part. Oh, no, that, um, but the, the neighbors are so douchey anyway. So it, like, <laughs> it, it actually worked. See, it, I don't know if, if you can see a lot of these really, really good old Christmas movies. Like, well, to us, they don't seem old, but like if you're younger, they seem old. I don't know if you could really, really capture that that moment of what it was like to grow up when, when people really cared about Christmas and getting together. Because now it's just over-the-top superficial in every aspect of it. And COVID. And COVID. Yeah, and, and we're COVID, still doing that? Sure. I didn't know we are still doing that. Just the new strains. <laughs> yeah, mostly in America, we've moved on from COVID, for, unless you live in a major, major city. Other than that, everybody well, else is like, oh. It, it depends on who you are because, I mean, I, I, I'm not getting political, but I'm just got to bring this up because it, it's something Urena's, you know, kind of into with Supernatural, one of the actors on there who's ultra, you know, left-leaning, uh, Misha Collins, recently yeah. posted on there about how he unfortunately had to cancel Christmas uh, to go visit his, like, 70-something or 78-year-old dad or something because of the Omicron variant and, you know, and, and how hopefully they'll be able to get their time back. And I'm just like, you mean the I read that and like I'm like, unfortunately, especially when you get like parents that are older in age, I mean, I understand, you know, want to protect them if you're actively sick or something like that. But at the same time, time lost is time lost. Oh, I yeah. mean, and that's what, and that's what we're getting into with this, you know, the movie that we're discussing today, Christmas Carol's all about that. I mean, all those years that, that Scrooge wasted, you know, uh, not spending time with people and, and that sort of thing. And it's, you know, and they're, they're trying to make it mainstream now, which is awful, you know, in, in its own way. See, and that's the worst um, part because I, I, how old are you now? What's your, what's your age now? I'm 40. Yeah, like you, you, so you're right at the mark that kind of we are and you have the realization that, that out of all the things in life that you can recover, the one thing you can never recover is time. It's flat out, and it becomes blatantly obvious the older you get and wasted time and how you're never going to recoup 
you can recoup almost anything else financially or whatever if you work hard enough, but time is the only thing you can not re-grab. Yeah, and it's and and I read like an interesting this is a tangent completely, but I read an interesting like thought behind why time feels so different, like when you're a kid versus when you're an adult. And it's more of like a compression factor. It's like when you're a kid, you don't have that much time behind you. So all the time in front of you just seems like endless. But then like the older you get, like the the years keep compounding and it's like that they compress. And it's like, that's why people always have like, where'd this year go by where, you know, like, or, you know, it feels like it was just yesterday and it was Halloween or whatever, you know, and it's that, and, and that's something you notice the older you get, it's like time just seems to go by quicker because you've got more experience behind you. And, and, and so it's, it's just like you said, it's, you start realizing more and more the effect of time as you get older. You know what the funny thing about that tweet is with Misha is, and I think Reverend, you, you heard this on Michael Rosenbaum when he went inside of Misha Collin. Um, But he said, Misha didn't have a great relationship with his parents. In fact, I didn't know his dad was even in the picture. I didn't either because the, the one on there, you know, he, he discussed how his mom was the one that primarily raised him. Yeah, and he had a bad relationship with her growing up. I don't know if he maybe later on. I mean, because I didn't hear anything about his dad on Inside of You. So. Yeah, and that's the big part. Like, you too, you nailed it. Like, when you're older, you don't have endless time to, de- you don't have endless options of time delegation where you can put whatever you want. When you're older, it's very specific work. I got house stuff to do. I got to tend to this, tend to that your time's used up a big chunk of it. So when you don't productively use it in a manner, when you get older, you realize and you're like, where do I want to focus time at? Because I have a limited amount of it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, I noticed even with hobbies, it's like, I mean, you're sitting there and you're like, well, I'm trading off this time and and it better be super enjoyable because I could either be, you know, earning money or, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, literally wasting time. That's the reason it, it gets, it gets harder and harder to even, I mean, like, you know, a lot of video gamers, like I, I still play games, but like I'm sitting there a lot of times and I, I don't have the, I don't have the ability to sit there and play like these, you know, like some of these RPGs I used to when I was a kid and just spend hours grinding up these levels because I'm like, what am I doing? Like I could be building something around the house or doing something that would actually be constructive in real life. And then this is literally getting me nowhere. I could uh, be yeah. napping. Well, yeah, I, I noticed that. Like, I don't play in a console anymore. I just I have a I have a one on my game. It's a it's a it's a Final Fantasy uh, RPG one. It's an endless play one, but it's something I can I can turn on and off with with my phone. But even then, I'll I'll go down a rabbit hole playing for a couple hours. Like, what are you doing? What a waste of your life. Speaking of rabbit it's, hole, we are veering so far yeah, away from the podcast. <laughs> but so no, but it, it all ties into it. It's it's you you have the epiphany of time wasted. And using it to do stuff that still ties into the whole overarching arc of that story. Okay. Yeah, I think it's the main emphasis of the story. But um, as far as what I've been watching, uh, I tried watching a little bit of the elves. Me and Urena discussed oh, yeah. this last episode. I got two episodes in, and I, I'm I don't know that I'm gonna complete it. It's it's a little bit. First of all, it's I think it's like Norwegian, and you know it's got the dub effect going on oh the, the yeah don't sync up or whatever <laughs> see i'm Which so is, glad that you did that because i wanted to watch it and i was like i don't know if it's worth my time is and, it too fantasy too because it didn't look horror to me it's like the elf th- that she rescues quote unquote or finds out in the woods oh yeah it's is like really I, I don't know if you all watched you know uh christmas chronicle with kurt russell oh yeah that was oh awesome. yeah 
I feel like the elves in that are similar looking, yeah. which is it's not a tone that lends itself to a horror movie. I mean, yes, if they're eating you alive, which <laughs> they're doing in the, in the show, then that is. But I mean, like when you see these big, you know, big like Yoda, like you know, baby Yoda like eyes. I mean, it's just like okay, uh, you know. I mean, and the creatures are about like maybe you know a foot tall if they're that big. It's I don't know. It's it's it just didn't hit me the right way. I'm just like, no, this isn't really getting me for, and if you don't like, especially a limited series like that, if you don't get your hooks in me in the first episode, I'm probably not going to complete it. It's, there's just too, it goes back to the time thing. There's just too much out there. I'd, I'd rather spend my time watching something that's more interesting to me. Yeah. Oh. We did have the kids watch, uh, you better watch out. And that was What'd a you hit. What did y'all think about that movie? I didn't watch it. The, the, kid, the kids watched it. I don't know uh, if you caught it at all. Oh, no, what is it about? It was like, uh, per the Reverend, he had said it was like a Home Alone, but with a more of a darker... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember you talking about it last time. Yeah. And so the kids watched it, and they really, really liked it. You know what's a good Christmas movie? I don't know if you've seen it, is uh, Mel Gibson did the movie Fat Man. Fat Man, yeah. I, I, I'm going to watch that here soon, yeah, because I've got that on Vudu, but I'm not... I've not watched That's it yet. That's a very interesting one. I, I like that one. Well, I'm a Mel Gibson fan, so that was like... I, I feel like the plot of that ties in a lot to the beginning of Scrooge, which we'll get into, but it's like Santa defending himself against yeah. terrorists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's funny you say that. I didn't even realize that until you said that, that it's it's that whole intro beginning where it's just over the top. Yeah. <laughs> Television that they're putting together. Oh, my God. That was good. Um. And then, of course, I've I got in uh, just a couple days back the Krampus Naughty Cut Edition from Scream Factory. Yes, and I this say, one, wait, 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 I, this one did not come with the poster, right? It, this one did not. I <laughs> didn't order it from their website. I ordered it from Amazon. Okay, I'm kind of disappointed because it it adds the scenes. It, if you have the original Blu-ray and you watch the the extended and deleted scenes on that disc. You have seen the naughty cut. There is oh, nothing that man. he added in otherwise. Because, I mean, he might have punched in a little bit more gore, like in the scenes where they're fighting the toys. Yeah. But, I mean, like, the the bulk of the scenes are little things. I mean, and, and fans will appreciate them, don't get me wrong. But, like, it's like whenever um, the main character, like the dad, is, like, driving, you know, with the uncle or whatever to, to the house. And they... Um, and they're listening to the radio for a second, and, and they're talking about, like, over the radio, there's, like, this news break that says this blizzard has not only hit, you know, whatever town they're living in, but also hit Warren Valley. Well, Warren Valley is the same place that Trick or Treat occurred, which is another oh, yeah. one of Gordy's movies. So it's got that link to it. It's got a little scene where the, the kid in the movie, the main kid, like, is offering his cousins, like, some of his Halloween candy. And the, oh yeah, uh, he, it, and it's got like the little lollipop and some other and, and the lolly hose or whatever they're called from trick or treats in there to kind of give that link as well. But then the rest of the scenes are either extended scenes of them fighting the the toys or it's like there's a scene or two with uh, the ant, like the redneck ant. There's yeah. like a couple more scenes with her, and they, I mean, they're all right, but they don't really add anything to the the movie itself. So, um. Just, I don't know, I watched it and I'm like, okay, I mean, I, this is probably the, the addition to watch if you're going to rewatch it, but it's not enough. If it was me and, and I had, and, and I do, but I mean, if I was anybody else, I'd probably be like, you know, watch it once, but I don't know if it's worth buying, honestly. If someone you were know. to buy Krampus, is, would you recommend buying the Blu-ray if, if you, or if buying you this buying one? It for, 
If you're buying it for the first time, I would buy this. Yes, okay. It's got the 4K upgrade, and it's got the the Blu-ray. And they did record some new audio commentary and some other stuff, which is, you know, if you're a real big fan of the movie, that's interesting. Yeah. But if you already have the movie, I don't know that I'd go out and repurchase it just for the 4K. Absolutely, yeah. I'm not not into that anyways, but there are people that are into that. I mean, Mike being one of them, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, I don't don't get it, but okay. Um. But that's all I've se- I've seen recently. Uh, so I mean, if y'all want to get into it, we can start discussing uh, a Christmas Carol. The other versions that we're not discussing today. Oh yeah. Um. I first up. I mean, have y'all? You, you. I'm sure you've seen the Muppet version of a Christmas Carol. Yep. <laughs> Hell yeah. I have not. <laughs> oh what? You have it? We have oh, it. Oh my god. Uh-uh. I'm not. I was not into that. Well, we we have the old one and we have the new one. We have both. I didn't even know there was more than one. Yeah. I wasn't aware there was a newer one. I know about the, the Michael Caine version. Yeah, but... that was the original. Yeah, and then then there's kind of a newer one they did. Okay. Um, it. I don't, I mean, we can kind of discuss it. I feel like it does a good job of hitting the highlights, for at least for kids, of what the novel had in it. Uh, but there's, I don't know, the, and some people love this, but I feel like especially with the Gonzo and Ratso, like, you know, interludes, it's a little bit too wink-wink at, you know, fourth wall, you know, type thing, you know, breaking the fourth wall type stuff. Well, on a side note, who's your favorite Muppet? We That's the real question. Oh, God. Um, I'm, I'm leaning between, between Sam the Eagle or Gonzo are my two favorites. I know Kermit is supposed to be the default answer, but, you know, <laughs> that's, that's who I lean toward. What's yours, babe? Mm, is animal a Muppet? Yes. Yes. What? <laughs> you have a onesie that's animal. I know, but... <laughs> you are a horrible person. I'm not a huge Muppet fan. And I do, yeah. I mean, but I do love that that onesie. Uh, I, I like the guy that looks like uh, George Clinton from uh, P-Funk. Oh, my God. <laughs> With the gold glasses? Yeah, and the is gold it, teeth. <laughs> Do- Dr. Teeth. That's his name, Dr. Oh, Teeth. Oh, Dr. Dr. Teeth is his name? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, I mean, do you have any thoughts, uh, you know, Noah on the, the Muppet version, like, you know, other than what's already been kind of stated on that one? No, I, I, the, the thing with a lot of those classic movies, they do a good job of, of really telling a story. It's, it, I, I think telling, I think that's a lot why you're seeing a lot of movies remade is no one has the ability of actually telling a story. You do want to rehash it. But the Muppets get, get the op, get to operate in a different area where they don't have to technically retell a new story. They just got to retell a story. But the Muppets always do a really good job of making it an actual story arc, which is the most critical part of anything Like when you're making a movie. If you make a movie without a story arc, it doesn't have lasting power. You need to have a, a good arc in the story. Well, and there's telling a story where they're making it entertaining for the kids, but from what I gather from about every single person I've talked to about this movie is that it's also entertaining for the adults. Yeah, it it is. I mean, they they throw little winks, in, you know, toward the uh, which all good uh, good children films do. Yeah, there's things that are going to fly over the kid's head that the parents are just sitting there laughing about, you know. And then, and and I think, and and that's part of the problem I have with. I mean, we've discussed this before, but like new children's uh, properties, like they go too hard into like I mean, you know, like trying to please the kids. But you got to have something thrown in there for the adults because the adults got to suffer through this crap like <laughs> over and over and over again i mean so you, you throw something toward the parents because i mean they, they'll love you for it and they'll you know they'll buy more of your stuff if you do that oh yeah 
Big time. <laughs> um, but sticking with the children's versions, there's also Mickey's A Christmas Carol, which I personally enjoy. I, I, I love that. That one I probably like more than the Muppet one, personally, if we're talking about the kids' versions, because, A, it's shorter. It's an easier watch. <laughs> but I also love the fact that it's, I love the fact that they took Scrooge, which is traditionally, you know, to me, I mean, DuckTales is always my favorite yeah. uh, Disney property. And you take him and you remove him from like, you know, any of the DuckTales. I mean, and I think at the time, because this is an older film, it might not even have been from DuckTales, the, the show, but like the actual comic. But you take him as a character and then you work in the fact that Donald is his nephew and then you work in the whole Fred, you know, Ebenezer thing that way. And... I don't know. Mickey's pretty good as Bob Cratchit. I mean, that kind of fits. So, I mean, it. I don't know. It's just a cute little version, I think, and it, and it works the way they – and having having Goofy as Jacob Marley was an interesting twist. <laughs> <laughs> I think that and actually I, works pretty good, though. It, it does, and, and I like the fact that they went – because this is one that I'll get into in a second – they they go the route of having Jacob like they go they go really into some aspects of the novel that some of the other stuff doesn't like they have Jacob with the uh, rag tied around his head and like I mean you know kids won't get this um, but it's really a Victorian thing that they did at the time whenever they would bury people they would they would because they didn't have a, they didn't wire your mouth shut like we just talked about in Hill House with Nail like there was a whole scene where she cuts her you know like the the you know, the, the wire loose so that she can actually scream or whatever in that scene. But like in those days, like to keep the jaw from like, you know, hanging gaping open, you know, during the, like the viewing and all that stuff, they actually just took like a simple rag and like tied it in a knot over the head. And, and you know, that, that held the jaw shut. Um, and, and they, they actually worked it into this, this Mickey version, which I thought was interesting. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Do you all have any thoughts on the, the, you know the Mickey's version of a Christmas Carol. It, it 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 like you said, it's a good fast movie, but I still like the the um the one from the Muppets. I I I, I like it because it, there's there's anytime you can make a movie a little bit longer, you get you get the whole aspect of character development more. You don't you don't, you're not fa- you're not fast pacing through it. I can I I can see that and agree with that statement. Do you have anything to say, you right now about any of this? No, because I don't watch that. <laughs> okay. She's too adult well, for things like that. No, I'm yeah, I'm but that was from to... when I was a kid. I'm pretty sure when that it, when the Mickey one came out. I know I've seen it, but wasn't a huge Disney fan. Oh, in well, you're not a Muppet fan either. Yeah, you, like you probably never watched Fraggle Rock. Yes, I did. Did you watch the Fraggle Rock Christmas special? That's hella good. I don't know. I don't think I did. Yeah, that's an awesome Christmas. I just watched special. Fraggle Rock at Grandma Bean's house in the morning. I remember watching that, but I don't remember the Christmas special at all. I just remember as a kid being super scared of those big giants or whatever <laughs> that were always trying to kill the Fraggles. Yeah. Well, a lot of it was humans, too. A lot of their stories interacted with humans. So when you watch that it. That is true, because didn't they have, like, the old guy with the, yep. the dog that was always, like, the trying to eat him. The yeah. dog was always trying to eat him. <laughs> oh, my God. What? Um, I'm going to throw one to Urena here for, as far as the kids' versions. Discuss the Jim Carrey creepy animated one. You've already brought it up, so let's let's unpin that and get into it. Um, <laughs> you know, I think the husband and the kids were watching this for like a few years before I started watching it with them. Like they had been watching this forever. Oh yeah. And I'm like, what is this monstrosity of a film? What the hell? And he's like, yeah, it's for kids. It's a Christmas carol. And I'm like, this is a fucking Christmas carol. 
Shit is fucking creepy as hell. Well, the story was supposed to be creepy. I know. And I'm aware of that now. Because I never even prior. So prior to. Prior to A Christmas Carol, you know, the Jim Carrey version, I had not even seen the Charles Dickens version. Like seen, heard, read the book, nothing. Wow. Yes. So I wasn't fully aware of the story. Yes, I knew about Scrooge and everything like that. Like Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah, you kind of get the basic gist of it. But I never had gotten the full story. I didn't even know about the ghost. Nothing. I want to I throw something out here real quick. I started to read it last year, and I might try to turn around and, and, and do it again this year. If you go back and you read that novel by Dickens, it is surprisingly it's it's written in a in a modern way, and I, and I mean like yeah, it's it's got like older like lingo and that sort of stuff. But the way he writes is like so easy flowing and easy to read, and he throws in it's almost like reading like King would be now. Like I mean, you know, like it's it 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 works in like I mean he throws like little. I mean, it's not, you. You expect Victorian to at least to me, it's like to be real uppity and you know, like stodgy and that sort of thing. As far yeah. as like how, it, but like he 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 it, he writes it just like you you were talking to somebody now, but they're just using lingo from the Victorian times. It's just so easy to read, and that's probably why it's remained popular for so long because you right off the bat when you start reading it, and he's talking about how Jacob Marley's been dead for longer than like in. And he talks about like dead as a nail or whatever, and like, and he throws this little tangent there. He's like, uh, you know, I can't remember exactly how I phrased it, but he goes on to like just a little tangent about how nails, you know, even though you know they're not, you know, leaving or this that they're used in coffins. I don't know. He just throws the way he, the way he just describes it and like you know throws it together. It's like okay, this is surprisingly easy to read even now. Like I mean, even though it's been written for you know what almost or. 200 years uh, at this point. I mean, it's getting close. So. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure the book, much like, you know, I keep saying the Jim Carrey version of Christmas Carol, but I'm sure the book is just as detailed as the most recent animated film because when I watch the animated film, I feel the cold when I see the cold. I feel the fire when he's sitting next to a fire. They're so detailed in that film. I feel every emotion that they emote Via, I mean, everything CGI on that. So I don't know, but I can only imagine how detailed the book would be in terms of describing everything. And how scary is the book compared to the films? It's, I mean, it, I'll get into it in a second whenever I discuss the version I think outside of Scrooge is probably my favorite. And it's like a fast favorite. It Like I've only watched it the past couple of years and it's like really grown on me, but it's uh, the the book is especially when it discusses like the the hauntings and that sort of thing. He really drives home like the the you know like the darker elements. I mean, he's talking about Scrooge's house, how empty it is, how you know how dark it is. Um, you know the I mean, he really plays up how dead Jacob Marley looks and that sort of thing. And I mean, he he goes and and like especially the parts of the story where it's talking about Scrooge. Uh, you know the dying uh, Cratchit, the uh, the coals and the fire, like he goes on to discuss just how frigid it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, he, like I said, it, it's surprisingly easy to read even now. Like yeah. just, uh, how detailed he goes into everything. I love it. Um, the only thing I'd say about the Jim Carrey version personally is that like, I, I don't, I think I might've watched it one time, but like the CGI just gets to me. Like, I don't like that look. Is my oh yeah. It. it is different for sure. Um, but the characters, well, screw Ebenezer does look like Jim Carrey. 
and all the other characters that are played by him as well, because he played like most people in the he played all the ghosts. <laughs> yeah, all the ghosts. They <laughs> look like him, but they don't. Because obviously the ghost of Christmas past, he's I don't know if it was past or present. It was the big one, the big king looking that, one, the fat that is one. Present. Present. present yeah, 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 I mean that was the fatter version and that looked like him too. Ebenezer looked like a skeletal man at best and still looked like Jim Carrey. So I don't know. It was pretty interesting how they tied that in and him being as talented as he is with all his voice changes, you know, his all his characters. I don't know. I thought it was really awesome. I really liked it, obviously. Do you have anything to throw in there about it, Noah, since you're um since you were the one that kind of introduced uh, Urana to it? I I like it. I I it's it's a well done story. I, like as much as I I might disagree with Jim Carrey and stuff, he's an awesome actor. He sold it. Like he did an amazing job like selling the characters. That's the big thing is like if if you're good at your craft, you should be able to sell the role and he does. He he sells a role at every avenue when he does it. So it's just I don't know. I it's it's probably one of the best renditions in my opinion of getting as close to the book as you can get. And that's that's a big thing I like, and we know you know what gets me thinking about that movie, is you think the the character of Ebenezer Scrooge would actually be fat. <laughs> I mean, think about think about the era. Most people were starving unless you had money. So if you had money, right. what, but he was also very stingy with his money. I think his skinny, frail frame and his dark, no, but empty he house. wasn't as stingy as you think he is because he lived in a mansion. He did, but he didn't use a lot of electricity. He was very he ate soup out of this can. He didn't I, have these luxury dinners. But but then you have contradictions in that. But by the by the fact that he lives in a mansion. Mm-hmm. And his room is warm, but the mm-hmm. house itself is cold. Yeah. So stuff for himself is the things that that take that take right. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. You think they would have made his character more plump? It would it would have it would have lend more to the to the story itself. I think. Well, I'll get. I, I want to. That ties into what I want to discuss, and that's the 1984 version of A Christmas Carol with uh, George C. Scott. It was a made a British made for TV film. And um, what, what year did you say it was? 1984. 1984. Um, George C. Scott plays Ebenezer in this. And I, and I, and to me, he plays like the ultimate version of the character because George C. Scott had a gruff demeanor about himself anyways, like in everything else he played in. And he, he was plump in real life. So it, it lent to what you're saying is the same, like everybody else in the movie pretty much is, or, you know, except for some of the elites, which they play up pretty well, are, you know, pretty skinny and, and frail. Because his Bob Cratchit in the movie is David Warner, which we have discussed as being, uh, who was in The Omen, uh, who was the one that had his, you know, head cut off with a sheet of, or a pane of glass. But also in Time Bandits, he played the ultimate evil. He was also that character, uh, veteran character actor, him, uh, David Warner. But, um, it's this one I really like because I feel like it's as close to the novel as you can get, you know, in, in a movie form period. Like they have, I mean, they have like the lines they have George C. Scott deliver. I mean, you, you can tell came from the novel, the way he discusses them. And it goes in like, there's the scene at the beginning of it where, uh, Bob Cratchit is like getting ready to put another lump of coal into the, the fire, you know, uh, into the stove. And, uh, you know, Ebenezer's like, you know, it gives him this big lecture. He's like, um, he's like, what do you think you're doing? He's like, you know, that's costing me money. And like, you know, and then he goes on to say, he's like, uh, what is this? I'm, you know, what is this upon me? And like, you know, he, he's given a lesson to Bob Cratchit and Cratchit's like, what clothing? He's like, exactly. He's like, and he points and he goes through every, he's like, what's this? He's like, that's top coat. He's like, what's this waistcoat? 
and he's like, and he's like, and he gives him this speech about how you buy enough clothes to where you cover yourself and make yourself warm and you never have to, it's not an ongoing expense. You pay up front once and then it's, you know, last you through, you know, as long as you take care of the clothing, whereas the coal is costing him money every time he has to throw one into the fire. So, <laughs> no, it's a logical reason. Yeah. It's super logical. And, and he and but I love the dichotomy of it because later, whenever they show him going to his house after he's bah humbugged and he's and there, there's a scene I got to throw this in here too. He goes to like visit to the bank or whatever right before the day's through, and there's some guys that want to buy some of his uh like corn or something like that, some commodity he owns. And uh, he and it's such I mean it's such a good scene because it shows like how shrewd he is, but also how just like he he he's really like cutthroat. Like the guys are like. Well, you quoted us a price of this per, you know, ounce or whatever, you know, or barrel or whatever it was yesterday. Uh, what is the price today? And he, he, he turns away for a second, grins, and he's like, it's going to be, and he gives them a price that's inflated. And they're like, what? And they're like throwing, you know, going out of their mind. And he's like, well, he said, and they, they throw that price back at him. He's like, that was yesterday's price. This is today's price. If you want it, if you, if you wait, it's going to be even higher tomorrow. And, and he's and I mean, it just plays into, you know, showing how good of a businessman he is, but just how awful of a person he is when it comes to like just being cutthroat and that sort of thing. But then whenever he goes home at night, after all this, like his house is completely desolate. Like, I mean, yes, it's got, you know, a few like grand pieces of furniture and all that, but you can tell that it's not lived in. Like he barely spends any time there. There's cobwebs everywhere, dust all over everything. The only room in the house that has any sense of being lived in is his bedroom. And you can tell that he just literally goes home, eats his meal at his bed. That's where he's eating his can of soup. Yeah. And then like, and then he just lays down and sleeps for the night and gets back up and goes into his office. His office is where he spends his life at just, you know, working with his money. Collecting coin and, and really not doing anything with that. And, and, and I love that because it shows that even though he's such a good businessman, he doesn't know how to live, even for himself. Like, I mean, he doesn't use his money, and he, he makes a point in the movie of saying that whenever the, the charity workers try to come up and get him to use And he's like, why would I help somebody else celebrate Christmas when I don't celebrate anything myself, you know? And that's it's, it's kind of a sad point. Like, he, he's so miserly, he won't even let himself enjoy anything with his money. No. Well, I think that's a that's the shortfall of people. You, you spend your whole life accumulating wealth, never learning how to utilize it, and then you get to the point where you're older and you're still stuck in the mentality that, like, I need to accumulate it, but you don't realize that, like, you're now racing against the end of your life. So you've accumulated everything but of what use? Yeah, I mean, and you, you serve... I mean, even if you want to throw out the the joy of charity and of giving to other people, which there is such a thing. I mean, human beings do respond to that whenever it's freely given and not taken, you know, at the behest of the government. But, like, whenever you, you know, if you take all that out, I mean, even not living for yourself, I mean, you know, it, it's you can tell that he's he's just wasted his life in the pursuit of just, you know, just money and, and, and wealth. And... um and I also love in the in the movie, like they really play up the horror elements in this movie, this 1984 version, because when Jacob Marley shows up, the actor they have playing him is done up to where he is. I mean, not only is his clothing in a gray shade, like, you know, they, they you know, kind of portraying some other stuff, but his skin is like this deathly gray color. His eyes have those uh, 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 lenses on them to make them look like they're cataract, you know, like the dead, you know, oh, yeah. like bluish gray look. Um, he's got the he's got the actual you know uh, handkerchief that's tied around you know like top knotted on his head mm -hmm. holding his chin in place, 
And he to be able to talk, he has to undo that, and his jaw just like Drops. gapes open, yeah. you know, like in this death like you know way. And whenever he goes to like you know, whenever Ebenezer is like playing you know with him a little bit and saying, well, um, you know, there's this great line, and I think it's directly from the book. It's like, well, you're more gravy than of the grave or whatever. He's talking about how he's more like uh, Jacob Marley is not really an apparition, but more like something brought on by like bad stomach or upset stomach, something that he ate. And, uh, you know, Jacob Marley gets pissed off in this version and, like, starts screaming at him. And it's, like, it's it's really well done. Like, the actor really, like, you know, makes you feel like I'm threatening you right now. Do not tempt me one more time with your, you know, your bullshit. I'm, I'm here for a reason and listen to me. Yeah. And, of course, they have the uh, chains all over him, the lock boxes, and they've got, like, they really feel like they've got to wait to him. Like, he's re- like, he struggles to even sit down to talk to Ebenezer in this one just because of how, you know, how much they've got him covered up. and. I mean, they bring it, of course, the ghost of Christmas present uh, or in, in, you know, future and all that, they're, they're different because I think present is, or, or I mean, or past starts out being like in the books is more like a fairy type character. And then the one of the present is like the big kingly guy that you're talking about. They play that up. But whenever they bring the one back that's the Grim Reaper type, you know, of future at the end of it, they do a really good job because you never see it. It's just like this deathly, like, Grim Reaper look off in the background and, like, it floats and has, like, these billowing, you know, like, death shrouds or whatever. They I, they really played the horror up element in this one, I yeah, feel like. I actually want to see it now after you're talking about it. I, I think I remember seeing it when I was a kid, but I didn't pay attention to it. But after hearing you talk about it, I'm super interested in rewatching it now. It... It really, to me, I mean, like I was, I was really surprised that, I mean, for, especially for a made for TV movie, like how much they, they worked into it from the novel. I wonder um, how many people back then were like a slightly appalled by, <laughs> you know, how scary, maybe they thought it was like, like, this is a family film, you know? Uh, no, it makes me laugh is the same people that would say that would be the same people that never read the book. Well, yeah, of course. The original. Yeah. And so it's like, Really? Have do you know the story? Oh yeah, I know the story. I was like, okay, like. I mean, obviously, I don't question. Our kids love the one that we watch all the time. They love it. I mean, even our teenager, like she's she's a picky one now. She's a teenager, but even she will sit and get stuck in it. And although I was looking, I was like, this is a fucking kids movie. Not once I was like, like, oh my god, what are my children watching? You know. But still, I was like, (laughs) holy shit, man! Like this is and this is Disney. Do you remember the first time I let our kids watch a horror movie? Not really. I don't think I remember it. So it's been so many horror films I think ago. The, I think the first movie I let our kids watch was Nightmare on Elm Street. Is what? Oh, it was. oh that's gosh. a good one to start I, with. I, I remember watching that when I was a kid. A babysitter came over and brung it. I think I was six years old when we when we watched it, and it blew my mind, dude. I was like, "What is this all about?" Did you have nightmares? Uh, I don't know. I don't ever remember my dreams, but like I remember watching it, and I remember we couldn't wait. To like own it, and I remember one time we got when we got a little bit older, and we, me and my brothers, had dug a VCR out of the trash, and we rigged it up to the beta. Shocker! And then we we dubbed the movie from the movie store. We ran it through it, and <laughs> we, we recorded it. We're like, hell yeah! I, that I think that was our first movie we realized we can dub stuff from the from the movie store, <laughs> and we were just dubbing all of our good movies, like all the best horror movies we can get a hold of. Um, I will say one thing about introducing our kids to horror films at a young age. They are not afraid of 
hardly shit. Oh bullshit! Our son is. Oh, he he gets scared, cat. which is which is awesome because getting scared is fun. But he doesn't. He, he still goes to his room at night. He'll he close the door. He pulls a blanket over his head. I'll go there and yank <laughs> it off. But what are you doing? What yeah, you but still, <laughs> they, they they don't come into our room saying they're scared. Yeah. They don't I ever think they say. Know better. Yeah, they don't have bad dreams or anything. My daughter does, and she'll come in our room, but like, not like, not like you see the kids in the films where it's like, I had a nightmare, you know? And like, nah, they fucking you maybe they're too your, afraid to get out of their yeah, bed. You sit in your room and be scared. Don't yeah. be bothering me. <laughs> I think I think my first exposure was like old school. Like it was, I legit think Boris Karloff's Frankenstein was like my my first because I loved that movie as a kid, but it scared the shit out of me. Like you know. Um, even though it's like you know old and all that, like it uh, as a kid, it had enough in it, like you know, to kind of still give you that, you know, that little bit of a scare you need. Oh yeah, you know, you know what I remember and I miss, and I'm so I'm I'm kind of disappointed that that TV regular TV is about done. It's on its death, like death's doorstep. Is remember on the Friday nights they used to like your local news networks on Friday nights used to play horror movies. I don't know if you guys had that out out back east, but in California. All, like all your local, local in, like the Sacramento Broadcasting would broadcast. Uh, Whitey Gleason would do a, a Friday night horror flick every Friday night. He's a he's a he's a radio personality or whatever. Okay, but he used to run a Friday night freak show thing that was local in Sacramento only. And I know, I know a lot of other places in in uh, California used to do in their cities. But so he would pick out horror movies and he'd do a double feature. He'd do like a decent one like that, that start at nine. Then he had another one that would happen at midnight, and that was like the B-roll stuff, and he would play that. <laughs> it was awesome, dude. Like a tag of the Gila monster or something like yeah, that. Yeah, this like some, some kind of bullshit. Yeah, some major B-roll would come on like at like at two in the morning or at midnight, so you could catch the good one, and then for all the real horror buffs, you could stay on you could stay on the trail and watch the B-roll later in the evening. <laughs> those are always cool I, I don't think we had anything quite like that where I, where i live at but we had but there was like channels especially around halloween that would play all the old classics like lawn cheney wolfman and you know all that stuff you know for sure no one does that anymore see we have that and i try to i've tried to watch that with my kids and they don't want anything to do with not it. even your son your son loves old movies it, he, he fucking loves old movies he likes the old comedy stuff. he likes old comedies yeah because he did ask about when we were watching oh god i forgot what i was watching he's like is it funny and i was like no i don't think it's funny i forgot what film it was he goes is it a little bit funny and i was like nobody it's meant to be scary and he's like oh oh it was the original haunting Oh, he probably did. He oh. saw it. He got excited. He sat down with me, and then he's like, it's not funny. And I was like, oh. I was like, nobody. I'm wondering, if, I'm wondering if he would like something like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein or something like he that. He would, because yeah. we because we watch a ton of, I got all the Groucho Marx movies. From oh, like the man. 20s. He loves Groucho great. Marx. Yeah, so like, because the comedy's stellar. Even today, that comedy holds up hella good. So like there's, we we the have funny thing about Abbott and Costello is there's a lot of like even edgy humor today. Like yes, they're talking about all these women that they're or at least uh, the the fat one. We, you know uh, you know is talking about all the women he's going to be like dating that night or something. Hey, he's going to be like and you're surprised when you hear it. Like man, they, they it you know this is kind of stuff you expect something you know to hear nowadays. But like you know they got by with it even then. Yeah, well Groucho Marx was huge into that. They were always about chasing down women. They were hound dogs, and, and that's from like the twenties, twenties and thirties. So it tells you the mentality has always been there about people we just try to act like it's not i feel like the 50s is what really like i think the 20s 30s and 40s you saw a lot of that stuff and it seemed more modern than like the stuff from the 50s and 60s because they had that whole like we're too good for this we're you know like we're you know real buttoned down even though they were doing you know everything that humans always do it's like they put out 
like the censorship, I felt like was more in the fifties and sixties than it was like, Oh yeah. Or, or it, and, it, and it came back out of it and we're back where we're at now. But. <laughs> well, Lenny Bruce was a big guy that broke comedy back then. Like back then, That's like, true. yeah, nobody could do Lenny Bruce stepped way outside the box doing comedy. He got arrested for it. I mean, he's the guy that set comedy's foundation for where it got to now. All right, let's reel uh, it back in. All right, sorry about that. Well, just going back, I mean, going from that, and I mean, this kind of ties into what we was talking about, the classic stuff. There was the the original, the very first film version, which I've not seen, and I, and I don't think you can because it's a lost film, uh, was the 1908 silent film. Holy uh, shit. When it was originally done. 1908. And, but the most... <laughs> But the most famous That's not a version, real year. <laughs> <laughs> the most famous version is probably the 1951 version starring Alistair Sim as Ebenezer Scrooge. That's the one um, that they redid in color, right? I, they probably did because um, this movie's so famous, it's actually featured for a brief minute or two in Krampus. Like, there's a scene where they... Yes, yes, yes. The, That's the, the one. Yeah, after they fight at the mall or whatever, or at the, you know, big Walmart type store. And they come home. Like the thing that's playing on the TV is the Alistair Sim version of, of a Christmas Carol. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was originally a black and white. And then they remastered it, uh, with color. They added color to it. That's insane. Yeah. I remember watching it. Uh, I think I watched the remastered one. It, I, I came across it in black and white and then I was looking for it. Then I found it where it was remastered in color. Hmm. Um, but just going on from that, I mean, uh, you know, people nowadays, especially in America, would think that thinks this concept is is just weird and out there. You know, the whole like ghost at Christmas and that sort of thing. But it's actually Christmas ghost stories have like a long history, at least in England, and uh, it, and and they probably reached that. And it was more of an oral tradition. They told a lot of the stories by mouth. You know, at night. Uh, whenever you go, know, cause the days were short. So they didn't, you know, a lot of people, you know, were, it was agrarian society. They, you know, they worked outside for most of their labor when the, when they had no more sunlight, they had to come inside. So all those long nights, they had to do something and they had no other way of entertaining themselves cause books were not available, you know, yet because the printing press and all that hadn't been invented. So they just sat around and told ghost stories. Uh, and it, it peaked this tradition peaked in England probably around the Victorian era because with the introduction of the of, of the industrial age, basically, and they, the printing press and that sort of thing, they collected those stories, made them into books, and, you know, more people shared those around Christmas time as kind of like their celebrations. Well, yeah, um, if you remember some of my Krampus uh, history that I went into of not just Christmas ghosts but also Christmas, you know, basically monsters, was that... Part of the reason, like they on their coldest, coldest nights, which was around Christmas and New Year's, they gathered in groups and they stayed together in groups because they said if you go out or if you leave this party, you're going to die. And it likely wasn't a ghost or Krampus. You probably died of exposure. Yes, you died of exposure. You, you, Jack or, the yeah. Ripper, yeah, yeah. There was there was also yeah killers at the time too, like that, yeah. yeah, yeah. And this wasn't just in England. This was this was all over, and this was older than what we're talking right now too. Like so, they've been around for centuries, um, and it, and it turned into celebrations, which is funny, you know. Well, I would almost make the point that videos are, um, our our way of telling stories. They're they're just a better refined version of telling the same stories. No, well, yeah, yeah. Well, it's that, yeah. and this is where I think we get in the issues with. The problem with video, it's one thing when you tell a story and you can kind of, you, you retell a story, but it changes a little bit, but for the most part, the problem is when, once you make a movie and now you're, you're trying to compete with the story that's been told to that medium, 
it's hard. It's hard to retell the same story when someone's did an extremely better job than you have. Yeah. Well, and there's also the fact that the human imagination, you can, whatever is personally scary for you, if you're being told a story or if you read a story, you can supplement that in there and, and use your own mind to play upon your worst fears. When it's given back to you by somebody else's version or somebody else's fear, going back to Poltergeist, talking about Steven Spielberg and his own fear of like the, you know, the evil tree outside or the clowns or whatever. Well, if that's not your particular fear, it's almost like comedy. It's individualized. It doesn't hit the right way. Yeah. So whenever you codify something in the video, it's like you're, I mean, some people respond to that because that, that's, you know, is similar to what they're afraid of. But if you tell somebody the story, they make that boogeyman into whatever is their, you know, biggest, you know, uh, fear in general. So, um, I kind of feel like that's a little bit of the loss you get whenever you make something finalized in the film like that. Um, but the reason I bring it up about the, the ghost stories being weird in America is because they never caught on here as a tradition. Oh no. We, didn't te- we never told ghost stories at Christmas because of two different reasons. Uh, well, first of all, at the time, uh, even though Dickens was popular and his story and his book came over uh, for A Christmas Carol, it was a lot of theory was is that it wasn't popular because of the content. It was because he was already popular and people just, you know, wanted to eat, you know, whatever he had, you know, that was coming out, they wanted to read. So, I mean, it was, you know, like, you know, Stephen King like now or, you know, or, or somebody, you know, really popular to writer now, like they just wanted the next book in the series that, or, you know, that he came out with. They didn't care what it was about. Yeah. Even if, I mean, a lot of people might not even cared if, you know, for the theme itself, they just, you know, wanted to read his writing. Uh, and I didn't know this, but there was American authors at the time that tried to popularize ghost stories at Christmas, but it never caught on. And that was Nathaniel Hawthorne and Washington Irving. They both tried to, they had their own like little short stories about ghosts, but, Nobody really, you know, paid them much attention. Were they any good? Um, what does Nathaniel Hawthorne sound so familiar? Uh, when he didn't he do like the Scarlet Letter and and some of those like witch trial thing or like witch related like uh, novels because his ancestor was the big That's, judge okay. or whatever. Yes, yeah. yes, it was a. Well, didn't he change his name? He did. He he changed it. It was a Haythorn. Haythorn, and he changed it to yeah. Hawthorne. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um. But it's suspected that uh, the fact that, you know, there in the, in the U.S. there was more animosity toward, like, the supernatural and the superstitious, especially at the time that a lot of this, you know, uh, Dickens' tale came over. Like, in America, it was more like they were moving more towards science and secular-based, like, you know, uh, view of the world, as it were. Yeah. Um, they still had the supernatural. I mean, you, you and, and, I mean, I don't know if I'll, I'll research and see if there's any movies that play on this, but the whole, you know, uh, mediums and that sort of thing that came popular around the Victorian age where oh, they were speaking time. with the dead and that sort of thing rose up. But like Americans like to think, even if they believe that stuff, they like to think of themselves as being more, you know, scientific at the time. Yeah. I guess they still try to be that way. But, um, <laughs> never really changed. Uh, but also the fact is the Scottish Irish immigrants that came over at the time brought their version of Halloween over, which is different than what they celebrate in England. And we moved our like scary time or scary tales from being like around Christmas to Halloween because, and you know, it fit better with the holiday. And so we kind of just like, eh, you know, Christmas is, is, you know, the bright, shiny, sugary thing that we, we like it to be. And Halloween is where you tell the spooky stuff. But you need that because Christmas is right when you're around, you know, November and uh, December, you're coming to the struggle points for human history for the most part. I mean, now now we live in a modernity. We don't have those issues. 
we live in heated homes, beds, and you know, electricity is abundant for the most part. So you don't really have the struggle that you would have had to go through. But back then, you you needed to, you needed to rally people around something and get better social cohesion to work together. So you need well, to ha- you need to have a good type of idea of like why these certain values are beneficial for all of us. And, and I'm sure that the people then, I mean, because humans, I mean, are not really that different than what they used to be. I'm sure seasonal affective disorder kind of hit people the same way then as it does now. Like when the sun's, you know, barely out and, you know, it's just gray and dismal and, and like the days are short. I mean, you needed something to kind of lift your spirits up a little bit. You know, it, the, you know, the bright colors, the, the, you know, extra lights that, you know, you bring around uh, Christmas time, that sort of thing. So I, I mean, because even back in Roman times, like, I mean, Saturnalia, which is what the, the date that Christmas took on, um, was a, a big celebration to, just for, you know, to, to bring spirits up, basically. You need that, man. If, especially because, like, you were making the point where if you don't have sun, everybody has a lack of vitamin D. So your body's ability to process a lot of the your, your genetic operation gets diminished. So if you're a compromised person already and you don't have the ability to stave off a lot of things, I mean, you're going to have dwindling population over natural causes. So you need to bolster everybody's resolve as much as you can. That's, that's true. So it's, it's, it's kind of interesting to see how the two developed. And I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like England eventually took on America's like celebration because like, if you watch anything like they, they keep some of the older stuff, like they're way still way more into like the ghost stories at Christmas than, you know, thing. Yeah. But I, I feel like they've moved, like, especially if you, I mean, I don't know how y'all feel about this movie, but like love actually. And some of those other like British, like, you know, Christmas movies, like they've gotten way more into the, like the way we celebrate Christmas versus, you know, at least during the time of Dickens, like where they were kind of phasing it out a little bit. And that's kind of something that people don't realize is Dickens novel actually brought, at least in England, brought back a little bit more of a focus on, you know, just like Noah was saying, spending time together, focusing on, you know, like, you know, your family, your togetherness and that sort of thing. Like people, because of the industrial age at the time, were moving away from that. They were like, it, it was very impersonal. And uh, there was a lot of people feeling that, you know, that need for something like that. And Dickens just brought it back, you know, yeah. and, and kind of focused on it. I like how it's like spend time with your family. <laughs> Or the evil spirits will get you. <laughs> well, the thing, that, it's funny you make that comment. Like, the idea of Christmas in America is now rooted in most of the major countries outside of America. They took that idea and used it as as a, a resolve for a lot of their countries now. You know what's wild? I don't know if you're aware of this. You know what the number one thing in Japan when you that you eat for Christmas is? This is wild when I found this out. Oh my God! I, I don't even know because they they come up know, with some weird combinations. It's KFC. Oh, KFC is fucking popular. Now, in Japan. That's it's funny when you say that because I was thinking of KFC when you mentioned <laughs> it, but I was thinking of how they they've got weird things of at KFC in, in Japan. They like do. That. They but, have but, octopus. But they the have... thing is chicken, fried chicken, <laughs> fried chicken. But see, fried Christmas. It's you, no, 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 huge. no. Let me tell like, you. There's bulk. You like it is impossible to get. It. You got to place your order so far in advance. And a lot of times, <laughs> it is. I was laughing so hard when I was reading the article. It's, okay, here's the thing is like in Japan, the fast food out there is far superior than the fast food out here. They use real shit in their food. They they don't they don't have processed shit. Their shit is fresh. Well, KFC is real shit. Yes, I know it is, but nothing like other than, you know, the typical obviously the crumbs and everything. Their 
KFC does not taste like our KFC. Their KFC is good. <laughs> Their McDonald's is good. Their sodas are way better. Our stuff out here is shit. So I'm not a big McDonald's fan, but no, no, no. I know, but when you go to Japan, it's like you're. This isn't McDonald's. Like this is not fucking McDonald's because like curious. this shit tastes good. Yeah, but how long ago was that that you were in Japan? That was like 20 years ago. So I don't know what's changed or 20 plus years. Sorry. Standards eventually drop. Yeah. No, and that's what that I'm wondering. Brutal. Yeah, but um, I don't know. Japan's just, always been. I always find it funny with their, their obsession with KFC because literally I live about 15 or 20 minutes away from the original, the one that they call the Colonel Sanders Cafe. Oh, yeah. The, <laughs> oh, and, shit. And, like, it's – I mean, people are there, but, like, it's, it, you know, like, it's just so common here. Like, you know, it's it, it it's not a big deal. Like, if you mention KFC to somebody, be like, oh, like, Wednesday night, you know, it's like yeah. Christmas. Like, okay, I got a question because me and the old lady always had this thing about KFC. KFC in California fucking blow. It's it, shit. It sucks. It is. The, it's the, not so much the food. The, food, the food's good. fine. The people that work there. You want to bash their head through the goddamn glass. They blow. They are, it is so bad and so disrespectful. Like, we don't even go anymore. Like, if we're going to get chicken, we hit up Winco. Like, their chicken's on point. Like, hell, a good fried chicken. I don't know if Winco um, is under the umbrella of Kroger. Um, but, but it's basically like that. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. Fr- they're chickens. Fire, man. We... We don't uh, have the problem necessarily with the, uh, I mean, it depends on the place, you know, obviously, you know, staffing is, you know, different from place to place. I've never really had a problem with the staffing at a KFC, but like anybody from Kentucky can tell you that whenever they change from the name Kentucky Fried Chicken to KFC and they uh, changed the way they cook to be more like, I don't know, like healthier or whatever they claim that it's supposed to be. It tastes less healthy now. It, well, it's they they changed from like you know cooking in like you know traditional you know fats or whatever to like whatever they use now. Um, it, it we could tell the difference like around here and like there's a lot of people. I mean, you know, we obviously still eat it, but it's just like that's not the the Kentucky Fried Chicken that we you know grew upon or, or knew. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of funny because Lee's famous recipe is more famous or is is more popular around here and it and and that was like the colonel's nephew that started that like it was a he branched off and formed his own like chicken place basically <laughs> we got one uh, apparently i i just read it now i mean it's 7 30 in the morning right now and there are people lined up for miles right now for the new chicken place raising canes oh from no the shit. east coast mm-hmm. yeah. that's that's pretty popular around here too yeah, yeah. have you tried it yet <laughs> I have not. Okay, yeah, what we you, just got one in Citrus Heights, and it's in a terrible area. It's in the parking lot of a Hobby Lobby, if you have one of those. Yeah, but it's right next to home or Lowe's too. So it's in. A, I think it's in a good area. It's in a good area in terms of attracting yes. people. In terms of the parking lot and people being in line, it's gonna it's gonna be a few weeks before we try it. Yeah, I think. I mean, that one's big. Zaxby's is pretty well received around here, um, and of course, Chick Fil A is just taking over the anywhere world. along the oh, they have Well, they have know. huge standard differences, man. You go there, it's <laughs> yeah. it's expedited, it's fresh. Like KFC, man, them, them people, I, I don't want to say anything mean, the employees there. What do you mean, them people? The people that, the, <laughs> the, hey, shut up. The employees, I was going to say like, uh, like cocksuckers, but whatever, I just said it. So you go to KFC, all the foods underneath the heat lamp, and it takes like 20 minutes for them just to pull out the heat lamp and give it to you because ain't none of that food fresh. Yeah. Like you go to you go to Chick-fil-A, that, like they just cooked that chicken now, and it got to you because chicken cooks quick. <laughs> they killed it, 
they stripped it of its feathers, they cooked it, and they got it on your... Seriously, yeah. like, if you're cooking well, chicken breast that's lean, it cooks super quick. Yeah. And I don't know what's happening at KFC where that's just falling apart. I would stop talking about yeah, food. Yeah. <laughs> My cholesterol's and, going up. And 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 the another thing about Chick Fil A is a lot of people realize this: their efficiency is on point. Oh like, fuck yeah! In and out. I mean, their mobile app is extremely easy to use. Like it's it's just great all the way around. Yep. Oh, so you know what you guys don't have back east that we got in California in spades is um, at Alberto's. Okay. It's Mexican food. It's basically. fresh. It's like like legit. Oh, yeah. It's drive through, but it's super fresh Mexican food, man. It's like real meats. Like you go, and it's all real food. They're cooking on the spot. I think Fred has to drive like what a half an hour to an hour to go to one Mexican spot that he like that they have out there. <laughs> oh, you're missing it, dude. We went and seen um, Tim Dillon downtown on uh, Thursday. And, uh, we there's a Mexican spot I know of from driving Uber. It's a hole in the wall place. It's open 24 hours a day, and we rolled up there and got like. Mexican food at midnight. It was yeah. fire. It's hella good. I mean, we, we, we have a ton of them around here, but like, you know, you always wonder, it's like, are we getting, I mean, they're, they're staffed by, you know, people who are, you know, Mexican, but like, you never know if they're, you know, like the traditional ways are being used or if it's the Americanized version, just the. Well, yeah, you know, because people, their version you know. of Mexican food would be like our version of Southern food out here. Oh. We don't have real Southern food. We know that. Remember when I got those uh, fried green tomatoes and yeah. I was super excited and I was like, I still know you, that these are not you, real fried green tomatoes. You know what tomatoes. the benchmark is for a good Mexican restaurant? Can anybody speak English? <laughs> no? no? Then that's where you want to go. That is a hundred percent the restaurant you want to be getting. Mexican food at yeah but then they look at me and they want me to speak Spanish and I don't and then I'm being shamed by Say, my I, own I, people habla no in Spanish Spanish oh yeah. my god Spanish. Pablo Estiano no habla Spanish no. <laughs> no, I don't hablo. speak Mexican that's what I do tell it. no hablo Castellano oh my god all right, You're let's get back on, on track. Yeah. We're fucking off move the on to the main film discussion. Let's man. start talking about Scrooge. Let's talk about the fried chicken in Scrooge. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're talking about Scrooge tonight. It's the 1988 film uh, directed by Richard Donner, who made The Omen, uh, the first uh, Superman movies. Um, I believe he was involved with Gremlins. I mean, you know, he's Oh, Gremlins, another Christmas classic. Um. With the composer of Danny Elfman, which you can tell instantly when you watch this movie because it sounds like a Danny Elfman film. I didn't like, even oh. fucking catch that. And I always catch Danny Elfman's fucking... I love his music. I love his music. He's such a fucking artist. And and it play, and that's the reason we chose this one because the, the horror elements in this one are probably more pronounced than even the, the one I was talking about just because you've got the Danny Elfman score that adds to the eerie, mm-hmm. you know, Danny Elfman music. And you you get like the visual effects that are you know ramped up big time when it comes to the ghosts and that sort of thing. Yeah, that uh, that's I mean that it all plays a part. Um, the principal players in this, obviously Bill Murray, uh, who plays Frank Cross, uh, who's an '80s era corporate greed version of Scrooge. Um, obviously famous for Ghostbusters, Groundhog Day, Caddyshack, Zombieland, Dead Don't Die, Ed Wood, like he. It's it's Bill Murray. Everybody knows Bill Murray. Um, we have Karen Allen, who plays Claire Phillips, uh, who is this version of Belle, which is Ebenezer's love interest in the original novel. Mm-hmm. Um, she was originally in Animal House. Uh, she played in Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And, uh, uh, and then she was in The Sandlot, surprisingly. I don't remember her in that, but that's what Google brought up whenever I looked up her name. 
we have Bobcat Goldthwait uh, oh my God. playing Elliot Loudermilk, who is our first part of Bob Cratchit. And I'll get into that in a second, but he doesn't fit the entire part of Bob Cratchit. Yeah. Um, he obviously Police Academy was a big film for him. Shakes the Clown is a weird one that he did, which is about this depressed alcoholic clown. Um, and he was also in a horror film called Willow Creek, which I believe was about Bigfoot, if I remember right. Um, we have Alfrey Woodard, who plays Grace Cooley, who is the other version of Bob Cratchit. Both of these characters are like assistants to Frank Cross, and it's like you get the, I don't know, it's like Louder Milk is more like the way if, like, if, if you know, like Scrooge just got completely tired of Bob Cratchit's shit and just fired him and threw him out. And then Grace is like the one that stayed, but also has the kid, her version of Tiny Tim. Yeah. That's where you get her version in at. Um, she was um, actually in Annabelle, uh, as far as a horror film goes. Uh, she was in the, the 2019 live action, or well, CGI version of A Lion King. And uh, the family that prays, P-R-E-Y-S, Clemency. And she was also in the Luke Cage uh, series recently, which she's been getting a lot of work in the last few years. Yeah. her. Um, we have John Forsyth playing Lou Hayward, who is the Jacob Marley of the story. He's the, in this version, he's the former boss of, uh, Frank Cross who comes back from the dead and, and, uh, has those good visual effects we'll get into about a little bit later. Not really known for any movies. He was mo- mainly known for like TV shows like Charlie's Angels and Dynasty. Yeah. That's what he that. came off as when I saw him. <laughs> um, we have David Johansson who plays the ghost of Christmas past who, if you're old enough, you know as a musician who went by the name of Buster Poindexter, who did the song Hot, Hot, Hot. Um, he did. He also did a movie called Above the Shadows. He was in the original, or he was in the, the Tales from the Dark Side movie. And he was, and he's a good friend. And the reason he was hired for this movie, actually there was another uh, musician that was going to be hired in his place, but they went with him because he's friends with Bill Murray in real life. And that's also the reason he's in A Very Murray Christmas. Oh, that, my God. The, the, the Netflix special that Bill Murray did, you know, around the holiday. Yeah, but he nailed um, that role of being that that character. His, oh God, I'll, his, I'll, his ghost is probably one of the best ghosts in that movie. Yeah, I, I thought he was Benicio he, Del Toro at first. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, I thought he was Benicio Del Toro. See, I knew him as a musician. He, I, I've seen I didn't him. know him. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, he has, that famous, uh, he has that famous Christmas song, Is That You, Santa Claus? Cool. Yeah, so there, many there people have that. done that. No, but his is like a comedy one. Oh, okay. It's a... Hold up your I phone and watch it. He, he he definitely, like Noah says, he just stands out. Like, he is one of those bigger than life, especially in this movie. Like, the way he plays the character, his, you know, accent and everything just plays in. And this wasn't the only movie where he played a cabbie. He played a cabbie in another movie right after this, too. Oh, and, my but God. But it fit because he, he kind of had that vibe he, about he it. He had energy for sure. <laughs> um, we have Carol Kane, who plays the Ghost of Christmas Present. Um, who played in the Adam fa- uh, Adams Family films. Yep. She played the grandma. Grandmama, I think. Yes. Uh, she played in When a Stranger Calls. Uh, she was in The Princess Bride. She was the <laughs> Billy Crystal's wife in that movie. Yeah, she was the elf making the potions. Never seen it. <laughs> the Princess Bride? Never seen it. How dare you? Oh, my God. Make her watch that as soon as we get done. You, you, you know what like other right movie now? that she wasn't? my wife wasn't aware of she played in? It was uh, License to Drive. The pregnant mom. It's not that I didn't realize that I just hadn't thought about it. I was like, oh, shit, she was. Yeah, that's that's one of I remember being a kid. That was one of my favorite movies was License to Drive because it was I remember being younger 
I'm gonna get my license. Yeah, it's, it's gonna be like that. It's gonna be wild. Who, who's in that? Uh, Corey, Corey Feldman and okay, Corey yeah, Haim. Okay. The Corys are that's in what, it. Yeah, the two Corys. Yeah, that's what I thought. So. Yeah, and that's an awesome movie. That's a hell good '80s dead-on movie. Yeah, I remember the cover. It had like Corey Haim, and he had like the sunglasses part way down his nose, trying to look all. Oh cool yeah, and all that. <laughs> totally '80s. Oh my god, let's go for it. Um, Transylvania six five thousand. Speaking of eighties films, uh, the dead don't die. She reunited with Bill Murray for that movie. Oh yeah, and uh, and I think this is a newer film called Ghost Light that she's been in. Hmm. Okay, so we she's have, kept busy. Yeah, she's and I mean, just the fact that she was Grandmama in the Adams Family live action films that right there to a lot of horror fans just cemented her. Oh I mean, yeah, she was you know great in that. We have John Glover played Bryce Cummings, the Hollywood douchebag that's trying to steal Frank's job. Ugh, he did that role so well. Yeah, he did. He nailed that. <laughs> he's been in great in everything he's been in, though. He played in Gremlins 2. He played the uh, Trump-like stand-in in Gremlins 2. <laughs> who was, yeah, the uh, douchebag boss is yeah, what he played. the one that owned the, the big towers yes. and everything. Um, he was in Smallville. He, God, I love his character in Smallville. He played... Uh, uh, Lex Luthor's dad. Lionel oh Luthor. yeah! So good. In that. Holy shit! I forgot about that. He was good uh, in that. He was really good in that. Uh, Noah. I mean, let's in. be was, let's be honest. In Smallville, there was really only Lex Luthor. Like Superman wasn't shit in that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like Tom Welling. Wow. I do <laughs> like Tom Welling, but man, I, Lex Luthor was definitely the favorite. We have him in the Mouth of Madness, which Noah would appreciate. Yep. Oh yeah. Uh, he was in We Go On, RoboCop Two, and unfortunately, he was not in the good Batman movies. He was in <laughs> Batman and Robin. He so, okay. Pissed. For additional points, what character was he in the Mouth of Madness? Oh God, I don't remember. It's been a long time since I've, I've watched it. Honestly, do you remember? Mm-mm. He was the person in the beginning that was getting him into the facility. He was the guy that ran the desk. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, we have, which I don't have typed in here right in this, Robert Mitchum, who plays Preston Rhinelander, which is funny. Rhinelander is the last name. Would that mean you were German? Is that just maybe Preston German is, should be his name? I was just thinking that kind of funny. Um, he plays Frank's boss uh, in the movie, the one that uh, talks about wanting, uh, he wants Frank Cross to have the, the channels dedicated to, or the show dedicated to pets. Oh my god, <laughs> I was laughing so hard. I was just like, because it, it, the, the problem. It's a real thing now. Th- that's a thing. Is like that was like you couldn't write an Onion article that nailed that that good. <laughs> like it, it, he was so sold on it, and then I'm just thinking like current day. I was like, this is how stupid people are because we're re back in that era thinking that's viable. Yeah, well, there's there's numerous like Roku channels that are dedicated just to showing stuff that either dogs or cats would like to watch. Well, the, oh, yes. okay, so the funny thing is, my old lady's like taking care of somebody's house. They're Shut on up. vacation, and we're over there. She's like, "I'm gonna put something on for the dog to watch." I'm like, "Oh my god!" No, I didn't. Like, that is not true. I put music on. Whatever. Get it right. Yeah, and then she's like, "I should delete leave the lights on for the dog." I'm like, "The dog doesn't care. It eats its own poop. Like, what are we doing?" The do- <laughs> Ava cares. You know that. She has high anxiety. She needs warmth. She needs ambiance, oh and she needs god. music. But I was laughing, and even my wife laughed. She's like, "Oh my god, that was me." Because I was making fun of the how they were talking about that, and I was like, "Oh my god, here I am, fucking babysitting this dog, and I'm putting music on, fluffing pillows for her." Oh, dude. <laughs> I feel uh, like we're having the discussion they had in Shaun the Dead, where it's like Shaun's like, uh, or 
or Ed says that somebody he knows says that dogs can't look up and Sean, <laughs> that's bullshit. <laughs> Uh, uh, Robert Mitchum was in Cape Fear and Tombstone, so he he was in a few additional movies uh, besides this one that people might know. What was his character uh, in the, Tombstone? God, I, I'll look it up. Yeah, look it up here. I'll go on to say the budget. This was surprisingly a very profitable film. It was made for thirty two million, and it made a hundred point three million whenever oh, it was. Uh, not even that. Just out. like afterwards, like I'm pretty sure yeah. if if they did limited screening right now in movie theaters. People would go out and see that movie. I would. I would go into. Oh. I would go out into the theater and rewatch that. Well, that's the weird thing about this movie. It was universally <laughs> panned when it came out. Uh, of course, our favorites, uh, you know, uh, Ebert, Rob, Rod, you know, Roger Ebert came out and said that uh, it was uh, too dark for a holiday film. That they were, you know, and and, and too I'm not, cynical. I believe is one of his words. Yeah, but who? and then of course, like years later, it becomes like such a holiday classic that now people like. I mean. It's right up there with like you know any of the Home Alone and all those for like people. I mean, right. like it's a go-to movie. I, I have a bone to pick with these two cr- critics. What they're not critics. Like these guys are jokes, man. I've seen some of the stuff they rated. <laughs> these guys are morons, dude. They're talk about disconnected with the average person. Siskel and Ebert were. Oh yeah, major. Every movie they panned it was it, it. It was always a movie that went on later to be like a beloved oh, classic. Yes, every time. The the thing is a prime example of that. Them smashing that movie so hard and then killed like giant cold classic. And then years later, of course. Yeah. Um, Robert Mitchum narrated Tombstone. Oh, he was just the narrator wow. in okay. it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so because um, I I don't remember seeing him in it. Yeah, I I don't either i mean of course that movie's like loaded with all kinds of like you know oh jam-packed star cast yeah that's yeah. an amazing movie a good one um this movie was uh nominated for an academy award for best makeup but it lost to well, beetlejuice hold, hold on <laughs> on, on a side note what's what's pan back to a little bit to the tombstone so me and my wife were talking and she didn't know what a spaghetti western white spaghetti spaghetti westerns were coined for certain uh cowboy movies back in the day and I had to explain to oh, her. I didn't know that they, because they were made in uh, Italy, and, and that's where most of them were made for a good long... Uh, well, a lot of them, too, they were funded by Italian mob bosses. So the, a lot okay. of the backing came from the mob. So that it, they kind of got coined after that, too. So I was like, basically, spaghetti western, the term is a racist term. And he's like, yes. Yeah, 100% it, is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's socially acceptable, ladies and gentlemen. Because they're Italian. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Nobody cares about yeah. the Italians. Um, but yeah, I thought that was funny that this movie, I mean, lost a Beetlejuice score, uh, lost the Beetlejuice. Okay. <laughs> Beetlejuice had really good effects. They did. And they I'm did. trying to think, I'm thinking maybe they're monsters. Obviously the lady with the slit wrist. <laughs> well, not, 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 I think overall Beetlejuice had really good special effects. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it, you can't deny. Oh yeah. And then they had those big characters. Okay. I was trying to think. I was like, and I can't believe Michael Keaton didn't like that movie or didn't want to do that movie. It, it was such a huge success. Well, isn't he like considering it again, Sean? He he is talking about it. Yeah, he's kind of came around on the other side of it. But he, yeah, he he for years he was just like, yep, that was a I, I did that and that was a thing. But uh, you know, but now he's kind of like, yeah, well, you know that it's a, a fucking of, classic. Yeah, a lot of people. He's like, yeah, a lot of people like it, and it wasn't that bad of a role. So <laughs> <laughs> I I can't believe he didn't like it. That was such a good movie. Well, it, it's funny, uh, tying it back to this movie, Bill Murray did not like making this, of all things. This really? was his second, 
This was his second major movie after Ghostbusters. I did not know that. You think of Bill Murray as like this prolific, like, uh, you know, actor, but he had his SNL days. He did Ghostbusters. The guy stopped acting altogether and lived in France for a while, and he and he almost did not come out of retirement, period, but he agreed to do this film. And when he made this film, a little bit of trivia about it, him and Richard Donner did not get along whatsoever oh making God. this movie. Uh, because and, and he he claimed that Donner was always like saying louder, louder, louder. So if you see like Frank Cross like screaming, which he does a lot in this movie, it's because of. And Bill Murray makes the snide comment like in some of the like commentary about it. He's like, he's like, I thought the guy was deaf because <laughs> he kept because <laughs> he kept saying he did everything louder. Oh my god! Um, and Bill Murray like. Ad libbed like a, almost all of the lines of this movie, which is amazing. Like, oh, yeah, really? that's they awesome. Are. So he did some Larry David shit. Yeah, like he. he was wait, just, wait, wait. Like, Obviously, he was allowed to, but was that a, the original plan? No, Richard Donner was like basically oh, when he realized what Murray was going to do, he was just like, okay, you, you, you. It was basically like being uh, like the ringleader of a circus. At that point, he kind of had to try to steer it back toward the the movie itself, but he just had to let him go and do his own thing because he knew that he couldn't get uh, Murray to, you know, uh, they were having such a fractious, you know, relationship. Anyways, he just had to do whatever he could to get Murray to. to wow, the movie. which is funny because, like, how does that work for the other actresses? Like, you're waiting for the for the one actor to finish their line so you can continue your line. And you're like, uh, the line I was. Mean, you know what? That's ma- maybe that's some of the magic what makes the movie good because a well, lot no, of it yeah. becomes the staying word feels more tangible. Like he's not like he's not doing a rehearsed like script. A lot of it feels a yeah. lot in the moment. Well, I was when I was watching this film, I was thinking this feels like Bill Murray because a lot of his films, I'm sure he does that. In Zombieland, we definitely saw it. Yeah, and, and it's funny because I think the other actors did take that cue and they did what they could with it because, you know, the one Carpenter guy that comes up and, and they're having the discussion with the lady from the censor, uh, you know, yeah. like who's the censor, talking about, she's like, you can see their nipples, talking about the solid gold dancers. And like the, the Carpenter, like Bill Murray says a lot about their nipples. It's like, they're great nipples. And then the guy, the Carpenter's like, yeah, them were some nice nipples. That was ad-libbed. Like oh, that yeah. guy was supposed to say that. <laughs> like, but are. it worked. <laughs> it worked. Hey, look at, if we're looking at, at the great the grand scheme of things they were nice nipples <laughs> they were nice nipples am yes. i allowed to say that or are you gonna get mad at i don't me? have anything to throw at you <laughs> they're nice nipples <laughs> they were nice nipples i was looking i was like um, oh you can't see her nipples <laughs> and and i'm sure bobcat or goldwaith you know ad-libbed along you know right you know along with bill murray because he he kind of gives that vibe being a comedian himself yeah i could see him playing off that energy and going his own which i love elliot in this movie anyways like he just he's got all because bobcat's got that weird like you know he's almost like he's high on meth all the time like the way he his energy was and everything he did and he he just brings that to the role and just yeah. kind of plays off of it 